Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is July 3rd. Tomorrow, the Peachtree Road Race will happen here in Atlanta, the world's largest 10K. If you're participating, I hope you have a fantastic day and God bless you. It's one of my favorite events of the year. I used to really enjoy covering it because it's 50,000 people doing something I have no desire to do, but appreciate the effort and just the push and the drive it takes, especially as hot as it's going to be outside. So good luck to you. If you see me standing outside waving, feel free to come by and and give me a a high five. Uh, I will not have any beverages for you. I'm sorry about that. I blame Daniel. I asked him to buy some and he did not do it. But you don't want to hear my thoughts about that. Atlanta United defeated Philadelphia two to nothing last night at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in a, a shocking performance. And shocking is meant as a compliment. I know it doesn't sound like one, but it was probably the best performance the team has had this season against a quality opponent. The team has had bigger wins, but this one I think was the more complete performance. And it was fueled in part by a formation change put in by Gonzalo Pineda to go back to three center backs instead of the two center backs it's typically used. Goals were scored by Tiago Almada and Brooks Lennon. Almada's was another kind of worldy effort from outside the box. Really well struck, fantastic technique. And then Atlanta United got the shutout. It's fifth shutout this season. Brad Guzan in goal. Parata, great job at center back. Luisa Brahm is starting to grow into being a center back with Miles Robinson's absence because of his involvement with the U.S. at the Gold Cup. And then the third center back was Ronald Hernandez, who played very, very well last night for Atlanta United instead of playing as a fullback. You're going to hear from Gonzalo Pineda, Brad Guzan, Miguel Berry, Tiago Almada, and I'm going to answer your questions. we got a few voicemails. As always, I hope you'll follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC or on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. If this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, before we get into the audio, I want to talk about why this was an important win for Atlanta United. So in addition to getting the shutout, it was a good bounce back effort from the 4-0 loss at Red Bulls, which was probably Atlanta United's worst game this season. But when you factor in that they're about to go play at Montreal and at New England, together those teams have won 14 of their home matches. Atlanta United had to get three points against Philadelphia. Otherwise, it could be going into the game after those two against Orlando, fighting to either stay above the playoff line or get back above the playoff line, depending upon how the results for those other teams go. As of right now, 
Atlanta United is in sixth place in the East with 32 points. It trails fourth place Columbus by two points. It is ahead of 10th place Charlotte by eight points, which is a huge margin now. It is just six points. Well, not just, but it's six points ahead of DC United in ninth place. So it is in a, it's in a good spot to stay above that playoff line with a transfer window opening in two days in Major League Soccer. It can start to bring in players. The transfer windows are already open at most of the leagues in Europe. Uh, the only exception of note, I think, is in Spain, and it opens, I think, in two days, too, or it may have opened today. I can't remember. But I bring this up because of Tiago Almada. He said he has not received any offers yet, or his agent hasn't heard of any offers yet, and he is focused on Atlanta. But let's get into the audio. As most of you know, Yorgo Shakamakis had to leave the game in the first half with what looks like a hamstring injury. Pineda confirmed it is a hamstring injury. They were hoping to get him a scan last night or today. I'm really curious how many offices are going to be open today, with the fourth being tomorrow. I assume a lot of places are going to be closed today. But here's Pineda talking about Yakamaki's injury and the formation change. First one is easy. I don't know. Uh, we have to do the test. It's a hamstring, but uh, we, we have to see and do the scan. Uh, you ask about the tactical change. Well, different reasons. At times, you know. We have to keep the same game model, the, the same way of playing. But obviously, we have to adjust at times. Um, we've been considering many goals this year. Um, and I felt that just having an extra number there without sacrificing the build-up and the way we play and, and play out from the back and all that, how we can do to be a little bit more solid. And I think it worked. I think, uh, of course, there are moments where, where we were stretched and, and things like that. but. Allow, allowing against this team only one shot on target is, is a massive accomplishment for me. Last year we did the same and even better, no shots on goal. But today was was very good. I think on the ball we were also very good today. And we understood the moments of the game. And when now we were telling them, OK, now you try to play, you try to create chances. And, and we are just solid and, 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 and you know, narrow shape and, and compact. So I think it was a great adjustment by the players and the way they, they play the, the game plan was, was very good. And I wanted to follow up with that, just asking Pineda how long they've been working on this change. Because if you remember, it's one they used in 2021. It's one they were forced to use a lot in 2022 because of injuries. And it's one they've used a couple of times near the end of matches this season, but they've never come out starting a game with three center backs, two wing backs, three central midfielders, and a striker. Last night it was the three center backs I've already mentioned. The wing backs were Brooks Lennon, who had a fantastic game, and Caleb Wiley, who also had a fantastic game, was very active. You had Machop Chol and Almada playing underneath Yakamakis and then Barry, who replaced him. And your two central midfielders were Abara and Sadich, who are the best central midfield pairing on the team. They just work well together. They read each other well. They play well together. And they played well again last night. If you look at the stats, Philadelphia only had one shot on goal to Atlanta's seven. Philadelphia actually took more shots, 15. Atlanta blocked nine. That's something that the team has really, really tried to work hard on is blocking crosses, blocking shots, just eliminating the danger before it has a chance to be dangerous. And Atlanta United had its focus for all 90 minutes, which, again, is not something you can say has happened consistently the past few years. 
And that is part of the reason why it got that fifth shutout of the year. But here's Pineda talking about when they started working on the three center backs. I have to come back to 2021. 2021 was back five. George Bello, Anton Walks, Mike Robinson, Alan Franco, and Brooks Leno. That was the back five. Santi with Rosetto Mosley, then Marcelino or um, Barco, then Joseph and, and Luis. So that was very similar to what we did today with different players. And this year, at the beginning, pre-season and that, out of the back four, we were tweaking at times to back three with Andrew Guman as a center back, right? So I think the game model doesn't change. So then making these little tweaks is easier when we're playing the same style and it's just a little adjustment. But I think the credit is always to the players because uh, we can have the master plan here, but if they don't have the determination, the commitment, the hard work, the intelligence to play the game model and adjust at times things that we didn't review in the film or in the training session and they do better, they, they understand the situation and, and play the right pass or, or do the right run or, or, or just, just, just the decision making is good, I think it's all on the players. So it was a great performance. I just told them that individually and collectively, it was fantastic. I cannot think of one player that didn't have an outstanding game. I think everyone had an outstanding game and that's what we need. That's the standard. And then there was a question Pineda was asked earlier in the press conference about how does the team keep this going? And he had said, I just want to enjoy this one, enjoy a beer. So, of course, I followed up by asking Pineda, what is his favorite beer? Uh, when is Yurgo Shakamaki going to get his scan? And the choice to start two guys who haven't really gotten a lot of consistent minutes lately in Ronald Hernandez as a center back and Machop Chol as kind of an attacking midfielder. Well, the beer IPAs are my favorite. Uh, uh, GG, we are calling some um, doctors just to see when we can do the scan, if today, today is Sunday, but you know, if not, it's gonna be tomorrow or earlier in the morning, and we'll see after that what, what's the response. And then I think when I went to the reflection of those two, uh, I felt that I, I, I had a big time choosing Ronald over Noah, because Noah is a center back, a proper center back in that back line five. He's very physical, his aerial duels are good, he has his, his speed to recover. But I felt that it was a, a game against two very good nines, very experienced, experienced somehow, but because Carranza is fairly young, but, but they are very good players. So I felt that it could have been a stretch to put him in that situation in these type of difficult games. And I went a bit more for the experience with Ronald, who did great, by the way, he, he had also, again, as everyone, a, a great performance. And then Chop, it was the same. Difficult decision between Tyler and, and, and Machop because both being very good from the bench, both of them. Probably Tyler a bit more goal dangerous and, and impacting the game in the final third, but Machop has been very similar. Uh, and the only reason, honestly, it was a bit set pieces. I was worried about the set pieces and how good... Um, um, Philadelphia was, and I felt that an extra tall body there that can take care of certain things uh, was better for this game. But both of them are are doing great, actually. Um, so I told them, actually, you know, at times I can pick and choose one of those two, but 60 minutes, max speed, max intensity, don't, don't save any energy, and then the next guy will come and finish the work. And I think they, they work very well tonight. So I did text Pineda earlier today and told him what my favorite IPA is. It's one from Colorado. It's one of the best beers I've ever had. 
So last night, while a group of players were interviewing uh, Caleb Wiley, who, again, had a fantastic game, I kind of went over and talked to Guzan just about the performance of getting the win. I, I wanted to give him a chance because he was the one who answered the bell after the Red Bulls loss, and it seemed only fair to give him a chance to talk about the team when it had probably its best win this season. It was massive. It was huge. Uh, listen, um, it's been a tough few weeks, um, but not because of a lack of effort and not because of a lack of desire, but to have things all come together tonight was a, was a fantastic performance, and, and the result is a bonus on top of that. Um, this, you play this game to win games, and, and tonight was a good night. And then, you know, I kind of pointed out to Brad that there are times in the past this team has gone back to three center backs. Tata Martino in 2018 for the playoffs, which helped the team win the MLS Cup. It's one that DeBoer used. Heinze used more of a 3-4-3. DeBoer tried a 3-4-3 and then ended up going to more of a, a traditional kind of back five. Helped the team. Uh, Heinze kind of tried to stick with a 3-4-3 and it never worked. But then Pineda took over and he put it back in for a while. But just if, if it's a kind of a like a comfort blanket for the team. Based on how Philadelphia played, especially if you watch them coming into this game, the amount of forward players they put against the opposition's back line, um, it gave us a little bit of uh, an added security blanket. Okay. And that allowed us to be able to, to clean up balls over the top, balls down the channel. Um, and listen, the, the work from our midfielders was fantastic because it wasn't easy in there to, to cover the amount of ground that they had to cover. Um, but having the extra player in the back line allowed for us to be able to deal with the amount of numbers that Philadelphia put forward. And then followed by asking Guzan, how do they keep this going at Montreal, a place that Pineda said has been the Achilles heel for this team? Yeah, listen, anytime you're on the road in this league, it's always tough. And so, um, it's not going to be an easy game. Um, you know, they'll, they'll be right up for it. Um, but we've got to make sure that we, we stay focused uh, this week here in training and go up there with confidence, uh, but understand that it's going to be a tough game and, and try and go and in, impose ourselves the, the way that we want to play. And, um, you know, we'll see how it goes after 90 minutes. Now, if Yakimaki's hamstring strain is serious, and it's hard to tell, I. <laughs> It was a weird situation in the game last night. So the injury seemed to happen. Yakimakis was chasing a ball over the top. It was reached first by Philadelphia goalkeeper Joe Bendick, who some of you may not know actually was with the Silverbacks way earlier in his career. And Bendick grabbed the ball, and Yakimakis kind of stopped and put his hand on his head. And at first I thought he was just frustrated that he couldn't get the ball. And then he kind of leaned over, and then he sat down on the turf, but he never reached for his hamstring. The only time you saw him intimate that it was a hamstring injury was right before Bendit grabbed the ball. You saw Yakamaki's kind of drop his hands and, and kind of touch lightly behind his right leg. He never grabbed the right leg as he was sitting on the turf. When the trainers came out, they kind of looked at the right leg, but didn't do a lot of the things that we've seen in the past when a player has a hamstring issue. Yakamaki's got up, walked off the field, slight limp, not a big limp, but a slight limp. And then in the locker room, he walked out of the locker room and appeared to be okay. It, the leg didn't look wrapped. It didn't look anything like that. So it was either just a small strain that just frustrated Yakamaki's or 
you know, it was a full blown pop. But if that were true, I don't know how he'd be walking, and I don't know how he could he could stand the pain. The team, the front office is off today for Atlanta United. There's probably not going to be an update on his injury until maybe tomorrow, possibly Wednesday, tomorrow being the fourth. Who knows what's going to be open. But here's Miguel Berry on what he learned from being a starter earlier this year when Yakimakis was out either because of injury or international duty. I mean, obviously every game is different. Um, and, you know, again, it's more more chemistry with the guys. Uh, I think I think this, the season's so long that you go through different phases with the team, and I think we're entering a different phase now. Um, we're almost we're a little bit over halfway through the season now, and I think we're kind of starting to maybe hit our stride a little bit. I think tonight was a very, very important win for us. I think uh, it's going to be a turning point in the season for us. Um, I think we look back on it. But, no, it's, it's just about, you know, uh, connecting with the guys. And, obviously, you know, Araujo has left. And so we're, we're kind of we're, we're a different group. And we're still clicking with that. And and I think uh, I think as, as a group, we'll, we'll have to, you know, come together. And, and obviously, Gigi's a big piece. So we'll have to come together as a group and while he's gone and, and continue to perform. And here's Barry talking about what the team did differently on Sunday compared to the last few matches. I think, you know, we're a team that, you know, we played very well. I think that our two goals were our juxtaposition. If you juxtapose them, they're, they're very different. Obviously, Thiago's magic on the free kick, off the wall, volley. And the second one, I think almost everyone touched the ball. Yeah. It's a great team goal. And, and I think, you know, we're such a good team, we can do that. We can have to have both. But we also... We were focused for 90 minutes. We didn't second balls. We were first to everything. They had one shot. Like that performance from the, from the defense, from the midfield, from the forward, everything is, is something that, you know, when you put together a game like that, you're more likely they're not going to win. So just being focused and, and disciplined for the 90 plus minutes, which is, is not easy to do. And you're almost never going to do it. And you almost have to hope to escape in those moments where you're not focused. But I think we did a great job tonight. And everyone who came in, you know, Abram hasn't been starting games. Ronald Hernandez came in as well. Um, Caleb Wiley came back. Amar's come in. Like everyone who came in and did a great job, and uh, it's, a, it's a testament to those guys and to staying focused during the season. Now, one of the things that Almada did well against Philadelphia, in addition to his goal, he created five chances. He got an assist on Brooks Lennon goals. That was Almada's league-leading tenth assist. But on Friday, Pineda talked about they're trying to find some ways to get Almada more involved. The past five games, he had just one goal, he had one assist, and it coincided with a lot of opponents playing a 4-4-2 to, that really clogged the midfield and just made it very difficult for not only Almada to get the ball, but to get the ball and be able to turn and do anything. On top of that, Almada just hadn't been sharp uh, for whatever reason. I, I can't imagine what traveling to Jakarta, Indonesia takes out of you and, and comes back and, and trying to play. But here's Ahmad is very short answer about that, translated by Justin. Yeah, I think the team is always trying to find me in, in those positions. Um, you know, it, it hasn't happened as much lately, and, and I haven't performed as well either. But today, I think, uh, yeah, we're able to do it and, and do it well. And I had to ask Ahmad, it's our first time, and maybe our last time to talk to him for a while, on if he had received any offers from clubs in Europe. I haven't spoken with my agent about that. Uh, right now, my head is, is fully focused on Atlanta. Um, you know, if any offer comes, and that's something that, uh, you know, he would talk to me about. But at the moment, fully, fully focused on, on Atlanta. All right, when we come back, we're going to get into voicemails. we got two voicemails. Thank you all for sending those in. Again, that number is 404-526-2527. And we're going to answer a lot of cool questions in the mailbag. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, our politics, our breaking news, our investigations, our food and dining, and so much more on AJC.com. Plus, you can get access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters. And we're creating more and more uh, for specific segments of audiences. So if you just if you want to keep up to date on certain things, these newsletters are a fantastic way to do that. We just started a weekly Braves newsletter uh, done by Justin Toscano, who does a fantastic job covering the Atlanta Braves, the best of any in the Atlanta market. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. So you always know what's really going on. All right, let's get into the mailbag. Again, that number, 404-526-2527. Put it in your phone, tattoo it on your forearm, Memorize it. Call me while you're running the uh, AJC Peachtree Road Race with all of your questions about Atlanta United. Let's fill this thing up for the next mailbag, and off we go. Hey, Doug. This is Adam calling in, um, leaving the surprising Atlanta result against Philadelphia. Great work right by the boys tonight. Um, two thoughts. First off, credit where due. Miguel Berry, his effort kept the uh, play alive that led to the second goal. I know I've bagged him in the past, but uh, I appreciated that effort from him. And from the team as a whole, I thought they hustled really well tonight. I'd like to hear if uh, the coaching staff, what they were thinking about it, and how much that was just a surprise tonight or something they were really working after. The other thing, three at the back tonight, um, how much of that was just because it was Philly or we're missing Robinson, or are we thinking an evolving strategy for the team? Uh, throw with the result. Hope you enjoyed some Carvel ice cream. Appreciate that. So the three at the back was, again, to kind of try to cover – for the defense uh, to try to just help a group that has committed a lot of individual mistakes and, and they all get consistently punished. And, you know, part of it's bad luck. If you look at the expected goals allowed versus the number of goals allowed, there's a huge difference, almost like 10 goal difference. So Atlanta United should not be giving up these goals, but it doesn't help itself with the mistakes that it makes. Last night, the only obvious mistake that I saw came in the first half there were two philadelphia union players in the box the ball was on the right and there was only one defender the one defender chose the one closest to the ball which is a smart choice and there was a guy on the back post wide open unmarked no one within five yards of him but philadelphia could not get the ball to him there were some times in which philadelphia would hit a cutback cross to a trailing guy and it would be blocked or a cutout or something so atlanta united did a fantastic job in that area all right, let's go on to the second voicemail. Hey, this is for uh, Doug Robertson from uh, the Southern Pride Soccer Podcast. Uh, hey, Doug, hope you're enjoying your coffee. I'm just really impressed. Um, the way 
uh, we were able to change up the formation and it actually turned out to be super solid. Like, and such, so many incredible choices, like putting in Hernandez in the back, having Chol up top, some things we don't normally see. And it worked out really well in stopping a very good Philadelphia team. So I'm incredibly impressed and incredibly. My question, my question would be, what is your favorite sports athlete commercial you've ever seen? All right. That's an interesting question. Let me get into Chol for a second first. I really like Chol in the starting formation, especially him. And if your goes can come back healthy, they are, I would imagine, a nightmare for opposing defenders with their pressing energy. Chol covers so much ground so quickly. It's it's unbelievable. And Yurgos's work rate is is top notch. So those two guys running at guys with the ball or, or closing down passing angles, that's got to be not panic inducing, but has to make you move just maybe a, a hundredth, a tenth of a second faster than you want to. And that could lead to mistakes. And there was a play in the first half. If you rewatch the game, it was a counterattack by Atlanta United. And a lot of its best opportunities came from counterattacks, which those who listen to this podcast know I've been clamoring for, for weeks, absorb the pressure, go over the top or, or just break lines and go. But there was a, a one in the first half. Almada had the ball, he was dribbling. He's waiting on teammates, waiting on teammates. And suddenly you see Chol running, I mean, just eating up yards with a long stride after long stride. The counterattack ended up fizzling out. But just watch Chol. Watch that effort. It was amazing. Chol was in the lineup, if you go back to Pineda's comment, simply because Pineda was worried about set pieces. And Chol is tall and big and can jump and is good defending set pieces. Uh, my favorite commercial, sports commercial of all time. I'm going to give you two. One is sports related and the other happened during a sports thing. The first is a long, long time ago. It was a Nike commercial, I think. It figured it uh, featured Dennis Leary as this crazed football referee who would like. He, apparently, I think the premise was he used to be a referee and he got fired or let go because he's just a nut job. But he's in the Washington Redskins locker room. And for some reason, he has a Bruce Smith sneaker and he's sniffing it. And he says, do you know what would happen if Bruce found me in this locker room, man? Bad things. He's basically doing a character from Apocalypse Now, but applying it to an NFL referee. Great movie he was in. It, 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 the thing still makes me laugh. My second favorite commercial has nothing to do with sports, but it occurred during the Super Bowl. It was for Buy, the sports drink. And it features a guy who his character is supposed to be like a, a rap gangster type guy, but instead he's a horse whisperer and he's just like, it don't make sense that by tastes good and is good for you. Like it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. And then he turns to this horse and says, fancy prance, yo. And the horse fancy prances. And then he, it's just, it, it's so silly, but it's so clever. It just, it makes me laugh every time I watch it. So thanks for that question. I just remembered that commercial a couple of weeks ago and and sent it to my girlfriend and just because it's it always makes me laugh. My son had asked me about it a few days before that. I guess he remembered how much I enjoyed it was asking me about it. On to Nick, friend of the podcast, who says, My only comment today is that if Pineda gets blamed for every loss or draw, he must get the same amount of credit for an impressive win. 
Can you remember another time the play the team played through a press that well? And this that sums up something I've been saying on the podcast forever. If folks are going to blame Pineda or Bocanegra for every little thing, then you, you, well, you don't have to, it's your choice. But I would think that you would be just as vocal when the team plays well, such as it did last night against the Union. Can I remember a time the team played through a press that well? Yeah, uh, Red Bulls last year on the road. Atlanta United just ate up the Red Bulls press to the point that after 30 minutes, the Red Bulls quit playing the press. And because of two mistakes at the end of the game, Atlanta United didn't get the win. Uh, But that was the last time that I can remember. There may have been another. We have a person from France, which is pretty cool, who sent me it's several tweets. I'm just going to read or several messages. I'm just going to read them together. In France, we hate artificial surfaces. He's talking about Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It breaks players, and I think in Major League Soccer, lots of players undergo long injuries because of artificial surface. I think it's a major problem to develop soccer in Major League Soccer. I hope we will see Gigi soon on the pitch. The team really needs him. And then I'm going to combine this with another one because it's the same idea. Scott says, pardon the brevity, are there statistics on non-contact injuries for Atlanta versus league and or turf versus natural grass? So if someone out there is an orthopedic doctor or a surgeon, please correct me on this. But to my recollection, there has never been a factual proof that artificial surfaces, especially the new ones that teams play on now, including the one at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is the same as the one in Seattle, I think, lead to any more injuries, soft tissue, or or breaks than grass. Now, that used to because it was used to just be basically painted concrete, but now it's not that anymore. So if there is a study that shows that, please send it to me because I would love to read it. But no, there, there is no direct correlation that I know of that playing on artificial surfaces leads to more either non-contact or contact injuries. Players don't like it as much because the ball doesn't roll the same as it does on grass. And, and the, the feel is different, but it's not like it's awful. You don't build a $1.6 billion stadium and choose you know, bad turf to play on. And the Falcons, for example... Uh, I don't think they have any more injuries than any other NFL team, and they play on the, the surface. Opponents don't get any more injuries than Atlanta United, and they'll play on the surface. Most of the teams in the East, a majority of the teams in the East, play on artificial surface, I think is is right. I have to go back and count them off my head. But anyway, I, I understand the thought, but I don't think there is a basis. John says, with reports that George Bellow – is in talks with Real Salt Lake to possibly return stateside. Any chance that Atlanta United could entertain the possibility of bringing back its former homegrown or has that ship sailed? So I, somebody may have reported it before me, but I had tweeted out a few weeks ago that Bello was a free agent because Bielefeld, the team that he went to a few years ago, had been relegated in consecutive seasons, which triggered a release clause in his contract. So he's basically now a free agent. I don't think he's going to end up at Real Salt Lake. I know that he has several offers. Bellow is from Douglasville, played for Atlanta United, was a homegrown, signed a homegrown contract, came up, earned a first-team deal, played for the U.S. Men's National Team, uh, signed with Bielefeld, went there basically for the manager, which is always a mistake. That manager soon got fired, and then Bellow hasn't really gotten consistent playing time under, I think, two different, maybe even three different managers since then. Obviously, the, the franchise is not that well run or it wouldn't be now in the third Bundesliga three. 
compared to the Bundesliga one when Bello signed. I'll be stunned if he ends up back in Major League Soccer. Stunned. And as for Atlanta United, I don't know why they would sign him. I don't know where he would play. Wiley is playing well. Gutman is playing well. I don't know where he'd go. Wren says, what changed between Red Bulls and Philadelphia? Did Philadelphia choose not to press, or did Atlanta figure out how to dismantle the press? Combination, Philadelphia changed its formation for this game. Both managers, uh, I think Jim Curtin, paraphrasing him, said it was a little respect by each manager for the other that both teams changed their formation. Philadelphia may wish that it, it, it pressed a little bit more, but Atlanta United did play well. Three center backs gave it some outlets, uh, having two central midfielders and Ibarra and Sadich uh, provided more outlets. Having the the speed and the the willingness of Wiley and Lennon and Chol and Almada to find pockets, that's the key to breaking the press, and that's what it did. Uh, looking at the just looking at the stats real quick, the possession was almost even. Uh, Atlanta United created more chances. Passing accuracy at Atlanta's was 76.6 to Philadelphia's 80.9. Passes in the final third were basically the same. Passing accuracy in the final third, uh, Atlanta's was 69.1 to Philadelphia's 72.4. The big difference was the shots on goal. Atlanta United had seven to Philadelphia's one, and a lot of that was because Atlanta was blocking a lot of shots. Nine to Philadelphia's six. On to Brandon, who says, how many questions will you get about firing Carlos Pineda today? Thanks, as always, for the coverage on the podcast. Well, thanks. I haven't gotten any so far. He continues, with the summer window opening, two questions. If Almada is sold, what two DPs would you like to see brought in? And if the team only signed one DP, who do you think would be the most fun signing? <laughs> I've got no idea. You'd have to go and, and oh, God. I mean, who knows? You want an attacking midfielder? You know, there's a guy, uh, Tiago Alcantara, uh, for Liverpool, who's kind of fallen out of favor there. I think he's a free agent. He would be a fun signing. Um, I don't know what his salary demands would be, but that would be interesting. As for a second DP, who knows? I'd, I'd really have to go back and, and look at uh, at who who's available. I wish I could answer your question better, Brandon. I really do. We were joking with Pineda on Friday. He had mentioned, he was talking about inverted wingers. And he said, now if we have a Riyad Mahrez, then it's totally different. So as he was walking off, I said, so the team is going to sign Riyad Mahrez? And he just started laughing. I was like, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. The team's not signing Riyad Mahrez. Frankly, I think the team works better with natural wingers who stay out wide than inverted wingers. I think it take, they take up too much space. But that's either here or there. Eric from Hiawassee, who has a funny... The last one of these is really funny. I've been thinking of nicknames, chants for the team, and I wanted to ask your opinion of them. For my favorite player, Andrew Gutman, I call him Goots or Gutty? Goody? Yeah, that's fine. For Yakamakis, I yell G-Man. Machop Chol is I choose you. And Miguel Berry is Dingleberry because he just seems to hang around. And because I have the humor of a 12-year-old, that one always makes me laugh. Funnily enough, I just made up a word. I ran into Miguel Berry at the High Museum on Saturday. Uh, we went to see the samurai exhibit at the High Museum. It was also a day that you get in free if you're a member of a certain bank. Uh, it's a fantastic exhibit. If you get a chance to go, I would go. If you have a, a young son who's into armor and, and knights and stuff like that, the, it's it's really, really cool. Uh, Brandon says... Thanks, and I love the podcast. Well, thank you, Brandon. I appreciate you 
sending in your thoughts. Pat, friend of the podcast, says two stats that I thought stood out. Possession, almost 50-50. Willingness to embrace less possession and quicker transitions. I don't know. I, I never know if it's a willingness to embrace or if just how the game goes. Uh, block shots, nine for the good guys. Shows the players were dialed in before the ball got to the shooter and in position to block the shot. That's one way to interpret it. It could also mean they're out of position and they had to slide and get over. Uh, either way, it was nine block shots. I don't know if it was a season high, but it, it was important. And a good sign, Beneta said, of the effort and desire to do the things that needed to be done. Chris says, I'm encouraged by Gonzalo changing formations as of late. He even got you two strikers the other day. <laughs> they ha- I have never figured out why in most sports coaches want to put different things on tape to make opponents think more. But in soccer, coaches are considered to be better if they don't switch things up much. I agree with you. I don't understand why more coaches don't just, especially in football, Let's say you've got a, a blowout win or it's a blowout loss and you've got, I don't know, some sort of special teams thing. Why not just throw something out there? Because you, coaches are so freaking anal and arrogant that they have to have everything accounted for. So they're going to have to waste practice hours defending a play that the other coach may never actually intend to use ever again. Anyway, that's you there. He says, the most successful versions of Atlanta United have used 3-5 at the back, but it seems like every coach doesn't want to use that tactic. Is it hubris, stubbornness, or something else? I think it's just uh, talent available. And do we think Pineda is becoming more flexible in this area, or was this a short-lived experiment? Not every formation he's tried has worked, but that includes his primary 4-2-3-1. I think this was just a model to both kind of help Atlanta United get its confidence back defensively and because Philadelphia was going to use two very good, very quick strikers. Now, will they continue? Will it continue against Montreal? Possibly. New England? Possibly. Orlando? I would be surprised. Orlando has trouble scoring. You don't need three center backs against a team that has trouble scoring. Uh, but we'll see. Any thoughts on Bellow to the RSL rumors? I shared those earlier. Michael of Ormwood Park, who I think this might be your first, maybe second question for us. Good morning. What a win. This is Michael, which reminds me as to why I'm writing to you. To what do we owe this victory? Was that I wore my lucky Atlanta United sneakers to the game or that I wore only Atlanta United shirts for a straight week? Or can you envision some other means of obtaining this universal karma? I can't, Michael. I think that you should wear your lucky sneakers and an Atlanta United t-shirt every day for the remainder of the season. And let's see what happens. I also want to thank, uh, say hello to Christian, who uh, walked by me last night in the stadium to say hello. Hello to you, Christian. I appreciate it. Always good to see you. Sorry that I blanked on your name last night. My brain was still thinking about the game and I wasn't focused. So I apologize for that. Michael says it's only one game. So who knows how the rest of the season plays out. But if this team keeps having success after switching to three center backs, why do they always insist on going back to two with each new season? Certainly in both 2018 and 19, the team struggled for part of the year, switched to three center back formation, and went on a strong late season run. Yes, Michael, I I, uh, referenced that earlier. Of course, you wrote this before I referenced it, but you are correct. I feel like some version of the switch has happened in every season since as well. It seems like it's not been for lack of personnel as they've regularly had three strong center backs. The fact that this worked today, even without Miles Robinson, makes me think it can only improve from here. 
Hopefully they stick with it this year and maybe into next. I think it just depends on the opponent. He says, I hope the Carvel machine was working as well as the new formation this afternoon. It was not. So the majority of home games this year, the Carvel machine has not worked. I do not know why. They've been uh, giving us another ice cream, and it's it's been good, but it's not Carvel. You know, I'm a little sad. I'm going to cry for a second, and then I'll I'll be okay. Greg says, nice banter with Gonzalo on his favorite kind of beer. He continues, nice tweak by the coaching staff on the formation. Assuming Gigi is out for several games, do you think we may see a more conservative style of play moving forward? <sighs> I think it would be smart, particularly with League's Cup coming up. You know, Atlanta United wants to do well in League's Cup. And winning tournaments is about good defense first. You have to play good defense, particularly when you get to the knockout rounds. So it makes sense to me, but we'll see what happens. Can the staff perhaps be faulted for being a little slow to make adjustments up until now? While everyone dogged a bore, we did have several stretches of very sound defensive play. Uh, I, you know, if you want to fault the coaching staff, sure. Uh, you know, I've been saying on the podcast it would be nice to see them switch to three center backs and, and try to do a counterattacking style. But what I know about soccer is one one hundredth of what the coaching staff knows about soccer and the players. So. He continues, Gonzalo is always with pen and paper during his press conference. Do you think he is writing down the questions or just thoughts on the game? I just rarely see a coach that is consistently writing or taking notes in an after-game press conference. So what he's writing down is he, as a reporter asks the questions, he writes the name, and then he'll write the topic of the question. And I think he wants to go back and think about the answers or or just kind of get prepared for the next game. You know, I think it's smart. He's a, he's a thoughtful guy, is Pineda. Mike says, are you surprised by the lack of transfer rumors about Almada leaving this summer? Do you think it's more realistic now that we'll keep him for the rest of the season now than you did back in March? Who knows? I, I think Atlanta wants to keep him, uh, particularly if you know they get a couple of, of roster-strengthening players this summer. They're, they're tied to a player from France who's a defensive midfielder who would bring some athleticism to that position. I don't know. Once we get information on Yorgos's injury, that could change some things. They could need a short-term impactful striker. Not saying Barry's not been impactful, but statistically he hasn't. He even owns that. So we'll see. He continues, Parata was amazing. Thoughts on him and Abram? Uh, yeah, I thought they, they both played really well. We tried to talk to Abram after the match, and he again declined. Uh, he just doesn't like talking to the press. I, th- I thought he had a great game, and I wanted to ask him about it, but uh, he didn't want to talk. The latter hadn't been great, but he played great too. I understand in sports that you play better at home, but for Atlanta United, why is the team so drastically different on the road than at home? Other than NYCFC, it's not like we're playing in totally different conditions. Any reasons you can come up with. You know, this is – I. everyone says it's hard to win away in Major League Soccer, and that's true. So if you look at the road records in the East, the most wins any team has is four by Orlando. Then you go Cincinnati with three wins, Nashville with three, New England with three, Columbus with two, Philly with three, Atlanta with one, although it gave it's given away two of those. Montreal with one, D.C. with three, Charlotte with three, NYCFC with one, Red Bulls with one, Chicago with three, Toronto with none, Miami with one. You go to the West, the best record is Salt Lake with six wins away from home. And then there's a bunch of ones, a bunch of threes. It's just hard to win. Uh, you know, they've instituted the charter planes 
which was supposed to help, supposed to keep guys fresh, get them back sooner, but it really doesn't seem to statistically affect the play on the road. It's just, I don't know. It's a weird thing. I'd have, to, I'd love to see what the records are for other leagues around the world, what the winning percentages are compared to what they are in Major League Soccer. And now we go to our question of the week. From Eric with a K, longtime friend and friend of the podcast. I'm assuming the post gave interviews were more fun this evening. They were. With that in mind, please give us your all five stripes interview team. Cap it at five. Credentials include best quotes, warmest disposition, and least use of sports cliches. Extra credit for random profanity. I don't know if Eric is talking about me or the players using random profanity. I'm not going to throw in any curse words right now, though I'll make curse Eric after the podcast. Uh, So top five. This may be shocking, but I have to put Joseph Martinez at number one. When he wanted to, he was a fantastic quote, insightful he would also throw in random curse words. He would use some phrases that stumped even even Justin, uh, which they may be idiomatic of where he grew up. But he was always, he was good. Michael Parkhurst, he would always throw in little digs at opponents that were kind of subtle, but were usually pretty funny when you go back and, and listen because at first he would say it, and it's like, did he just say what I think he said? And you go back and listen to it and go, oh, yeah, he definitely did. He was he was poking some fun at somebody. But he was also very, very good and insightful talking about things. Jeff Lernowitz was always fantastic at breaking down tactics and formations and nuances. So he was always good. Brad Guzan always answers the bell. It's kind of a function of team captain, but you know he's been through the through the battles always answers the bell after tough losses and will be, you know, honest with his answers about the team. It's just not good enough if they're not playing well enough. And if they did play well, he'll be, he'll say why he'll, he'll answer every question. He may not always like the questions, but he always gives a professional answer. And, and that's always appreciated. And then I'm trying to think of my fifth. I'm trying to make sure that I'm not excluding someone from the team's past that I just don't want to forget somebody. Let me hold on to that fifth one, Eric. Let me let me hold on to that for a little while. Brooks Lennon always answers the bell. You know, the the, the worst interviews are, are easy, but I'm not going to go into that because it's not going to make the players any better or want to do press anymore <laughs> than some of them don't want to now. And I get it. You know, you get tired of answering the same questions over and over again. But for a long time, when the, the same results keep happening and the same style of play keeps happening, it's why we have to ask some of the same questions over and over and over again. Carlos Bocanegra has gotten a lot better uh, with the media, with his answers. He seems more relaxed. It's it's uh, it's more fun interviewing him than before. I don't know. That's a, it's a really interesting question. Let me. Uh, I always enjoyed interviewing Tata because as he and I got to know each other more and more, the interviews became more like conversations. And if he didn't like something I said or disagreed with the premise of a question, we would talk about it in the interview. And that's always so much better than an interrogatory type of of post-game or post-training interview session. I can remember one time after one game, he was talking about all the chances Atlanta United created in the first half. And I kind of looked at him like, what are you talking about? 
And so he stopped and started counting them off on his hands uh, with Justin translating. Uh, and just kind of, he got a kick out of doing that, I think, and started smiling as he was doing it, realizing that I was like, okay, yeah, I'll give that one to you. I'll give that one to you. But that was a lot of fun. Anyway, you know, I've got a great job. I've got a great employer. I got a great life. I'm a lucky dude. So th- these are the fun questions. It could be a lot worse. Atlanta United, two to nothing winners against Philadelphia. We'll have a preview podcast for the Montreal game probably next Thursday. I'm traveling to Montreal that Saturday. It's going to be a quick in and out. Beautiful city. If you've never been, I hope you get to go. Beautiful cathedrals. Uh, if you get a chance to visit, go to the old part of Montreal, the classic part of Montreal. Wonderful, wonderful place to go. As always, hug your loved ones. Communicate with your loved ones. If you're running in the Peachtree Road Race, please go to the Atlanta Track Club website. Look at their tips. It's going to be hot. I don't want anything bad to happen to you. Take care of yourself. This is Southern Fried Soccer. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.